we bless your name in this place today. I'm reminded, Lord God, of the words of my grandmother. We give you thanks that you woke us up this morning and you started us on our way. That you have kept us from dangers seen and unseen. There's stuff we don't even know about, Lord God, that your goodness and mercy has guided and protected us from. And so we just whisper a thank you right now for stuff we don't even know about. Thank you. Father, we need to hear from you. We don't need to hear the thoughts of a middle-aged man. We need to hear from a timeless, eternal God. So we have spoken to you in worship. We have expressed gratitude and praise for you being the way maker. How you move mountains and cause walls to fall. We've heard a wonderful testimony about how you've done that in one life, and you can do it in ours. We say thank you. Now, Father, we, we dare not leave your presence without hearing from you. And so speak, Lord, we pray. Stand in my body, think with my mind, speak with my tongue, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. We need to hear from you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in an obscure place in the Bible. It's a small little book about the size of a blog post. It's a book called Philemon. Meet me in the book of Philemon. As you're, as you're turning there, I got off the plane yesterday, boy, and that, that heat just slapped a brother in the face. I ain't from Texas, y'all. It was so hot, I just knew I saw the devil with a tank top on. <laughs> it's a different level of hot out here, boy. God bless you. God bless you. Uh, I'm so grateful to our pastor and his friendship in my life, Dr. Conway Edwards, his wonderful wife, Jada, the way in which they, they lead the people of God, the way in which they love you and so into you. If you're grateful for their leadership. Would you just give God a hand clap of praise for their leadership? All that God is doing here, the staff and the leadership team. And then for this weekend, just a weekend where a thousand couples come and hear the word of the Lord and get poured into. I'm just grateful they put me on way after Dr. Tony Evans. They tell me Dr. Evans destroyed the place. And I am I'm honored. I am honored. I want to continue on in the theme of relationships today. I just want to give a, um, a pastoral word. Uh, I'm glad we've celebrated and clapped because this ain't no clapping sermon. But it, it's, a, it's a word that, that if we receive it will revolutionize our lives. Paul says, the writer of this letter to Philemon, pick me up in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, that's Philemon's wife, our sister, and Archippus, that's Philemon and Aphia's son, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Now, the church that meets in his house is the church at Colossae. So if you've ever read Paul's letter to the Colossians, that's the church 
that meets in Philemon's home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God, verse 4, my God, always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have have been refreshed through you. Verse 8, now he's getting to the crux of the matter. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I appeal to you. Now he's going to get a little redemptively passive-aggressive. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. So I'm about to ask you to do something something huge. Don't forget, I'm, I'm elderly and in jail. Like, how can you turn that down? I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. Whose father I became in my imprisonment. That means I led him to faith. Formerly, now this is a play on words because Onesimus' name means useful. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Now the part that we as black people don't like no longer as a bondservant, that means slave. But more than a slave, as a beloved brother. We don't like this because, Paul, I want you to be more vociferous. I, I want you, in my blackness, I want you to scream at Philemon, a slave owner, what are you doing? Knock it off. We don't own people. I want him to be loud on emancipation when actually Paul is loud on something greater, reconciliation, because Paul understands you can emancipate without being reconciled, but you cannot reconcile without emancipating. So Philemon does what Paul asked him to do, take him back as a brother. We're sitting at the table now as brotherhood. That destroys the master-slave dynamic. Verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, receive, receive, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you, I love this, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Now Paul's going to get passive aggressive again, redemptively. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. (laughs) So brother, if you want to keep score... Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. One more time, redemptive passive aggressiveness at the same time. Prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I'll be graciously given to you. In other words, um, I want to stay at your house to see if you'll do what I asked you to do. (laughs) So good. Epaphras, my fellow worker in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Now pay 
careful attention always to the, to the benedictions of Paul. They're, they're never random. So he's asking Philemon to do something. He's asking him to show grace. And how does he end it? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ not just be with your mouth, but be with your spirit. Her name is Mary Carr. Some years ago, she wrote down some true reflections of her life in a book called The Liar's Club, which is Mary Carr's memoir. It's a fascinating read. One of the things she reflects on in this book is her married aunt and uncle and the notorious fight they got in one day. The crux of the matter is there was a sharp disagreement over how much Mary Carr's aunt had spent on a package of sugar. Obviously, in the uncle's mind, he had in his mind how much a package of sugar cost. And obviously, in his mind, his wife, Mary Carr's aunt, exceeded what she should have paid. And so they start digging in and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth as as couples and friends tend to do. It's like watching a tennis match and good point and add and deuce and add and back and forth, tit for tat. It's escalating. Both sides are digging in. And so unable to resolve it, the husband does the unthinkable. He goes to the garage, takes out his lumber saw, cuts the house exactly in half. It's a true story. Nails up uh, wooden planks on either side of the house, and he moves into one side, and his wife moves into the other. And there they two live on either side of the house for the next 40 years over a package of sugar. Now, I'm going to believe the best in you. I'm going to believe the best that you've never done that. But the moral of the story is we, we all know what it's like to have estranged relationships, don't we? Some of y'all have a sibling you haven't spoken to in a long time. Let's just keep it real. Let's just call it what it is. I love what one writer says. Family is that one place where they got to take you in. I love that. Now, now I got family members that uh, people I share DNA with that if we didn't share DNA, we would never speak. And even sharing DNA, there's sometimes we get sidelined with each other. Tit for tat, back and forth. And some of y'all, again, siblings you haven't spoken to. Some of you, you're estranged from a father or a mother. You didn't get what you thought you should have gotten from them. Or maybe at your most vulnerable point in your life, they just kind of bailed on you. They just left you. And y'all just haven't spoken for a very long time. And I'm not say, saying who's right and who's wrong, but, but that's the place you're at. Some of us, we got kids like this. Hard to believe, I know. Every time I'm with you, I always kind of moan about my 21-year-old, 19-year-old, and 17-year-old man. And we're going to spend a month together at the beach. Pray my strength, my strength in the Lord. I told you about the one time my oldest said some years ago, eh, you, you know, he, we told him something that he didn't want to do and, oh, I can't wait till I get up out this house. And I just remember thinking to myself, you ain't the only one, brother. I've been ready for you to roll. And I'll still claim you on my taxes, that's for sure. 
<laughs> but I just want you to understand, I mean, can I say this? There's times we don't like these jokers. Like I got one nerve left and you Cupid shuffling all over it. Some of us, we've, we're like that with friends and men. In the beginning, it was, man, we were hanging out all the time, and we were riding tandem bikes together, man, and there was just this sense of affinity that we had, and just doing life, man, just spoke every day, hanging out all the time, and then all of a sudden, the gossip happened. The slander happened. The lie was told. And instead of having the conversation, we just said, man, praise God for the block button. Praise God for caller ID. All of a sudden, I got busy. And now we're estranged. On and on I can go. Here's my problem. My problem, my problem with the church of Jesus Christ, it's, it's not that we experience estrangement from other people. It's the fact that we've grown okay with it. Do you see that? It, it's, it's not that we're not speaking to folks. It's that we walk it in church talking about, I got the victory. And we just as nasty to people. It's a very American concept that I can live isolated and estranged from other people, never try to repair the relationship, and at the same time think me and God are okay. I love it. Jesus says, hey, when you at church, Matthew chapter five, and you're offering your gift at the altar, and you at the altar, come on, I got the victory. And you remember that someone has something against you. Put them hands down. Stop your worship. I, I love this as a pastor. He actually says, leave your gift at the altar. I love that as a pastor. Don't take your gift with you. Leave it in the church. Love that. And make it right. Why? Jesus is saying, you and I ain't right. If you're sideways with someone I died for. I love this, 1 Peter chapter 3. Husbands, we're to show honor to our wives as the weaker vessel. By the way, that word weaker is not a word of inferiority. It's actually a word of, 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 of incredible value. Show honor to your wives as the weaker vessel. Don't, don't miss this, husbands. So that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, man, Brian, I'm so glad you're having this prayer time. Close your mouth. You're being a jerk of a husband to your wife. I ain't got nothing for you right now. Make it Fix it. And now we come to Philemon. 
Philemon is a wealthy individual. We know he's wealthy because a whole church meets in his house. The brothers got deep pockets. We also know he's wealthy because he owns slaves. If I got time, I'll get to it. He's got a slave by the name of Onesimus. I always chuckle when when theologians banter back and forth about the difference between American slavery and Roman slavery as if that makes it right. And they they come up with cute reasons as to why Onesimus decided to leave. I, I don't think he needs any other reason than to just have this innate feeling in his gut. I was not created to be owned by another human being. I think that's enough for the brother to throw up the deuces and say, I'm out. And so they banter back and forth. Did Philemon say something to Onesimus that Onesimus didn't like? Did he kind of swing at him? Did he uh, lash out at him verbally or emotionally? You don't need any other reason than the fact that there's this growing angst in this wonderful soul created in the Imago Day for freedom. So one day he says, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here, but, but now he's got an issue. He's got an issue that every slave has ever had who has contemplated freedom. I don't have the resources to, to finance life outside of my circumstances and predicament. It's cold out there. How will I eat? How will I pay for travel? How will I pay for lodging? And so most theologians tell us that Onesimus is able to fund his flight by stealing from Philemon. That's why Paul says, look, if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. This is a veiled reference to the fact that Onesimus has stolen from Philemon. And, and, and now we move to another conundrum because, because Onesimus is in Colossae. We know that because the Colossians meet in Philemon's home. And, and Paul is in Rome where he's in jail. And so that's 80 to 100 miles away. Hang in there with me. I promise you I'm coming to your neighborhood. I just want to set the foundation. And so the question theologians wrestle with is how does a slave end up in relationship? relationship with the Apostle Paul. One set of commentators and scholars say this happens by divine coincidence, that they just bumped into each other. I reject that. Why? Because Onesimus is Philemon's slave who lives in Philemon's home where the church of the Colossians meets, which was started under the apostolic oversight of Paul, which means Onesimus would have heard of Paul. So he gets to Rome, 80 to 100 miles away. He seeks Paul out. And what happens? Paul says, this is my child whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, which means he leads this slave to faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, that hound of heaven invades Onesimus' life and his life is changed. And, and now I imagine what then happens is, is discipleship begins to take place where every day or every week uh, Onesimus is showing up in prison to be discipled by, by, by the leader of the church, the apostle Paul. And Paul is showing him what it looks like to walk in Christ. And it is mind-blowing and he's growing like a weed. It is phenomenal. And then one day Paul drops the hammer on him. Hey, hey, oh, 
Onesimus, man, I've just been loving our time together. And I've heard your story. It's amazing. But a part of your story, what you told me, is that you stole from another brother in Christ. Now, I know he shouldn't have owned you in the first place. But, but, but I need you to do something really, really hard. I need you to make a U-turn. Walk back 80 to 100 miles and make it right. The whole book of Philemon can be summed up in one word, reconciliation. Paul says, I am not content for you to just be reconciled to God through Christ Because you've been reconciled vertically, I am calling you to be reconciled horizontally. Fix the broken relationships. All of us right now have salad dressing in our refrigerators. I'm believing the best about you. Most salad dressings, if you just let it sit for a while there's ingredients that start to separate. That's why the first thing we do when we take that bottle of salad dressing out and we want to, you got it. One of y'all held that like it was some dice, like you just got back. No, we don't shake it like this, sweetheart. Sister got a dice anointing on her. Why do we shake it? We do that intentional work of shaking to bring these estranged communities together. The book of Philemon is all about the shaking process that leads to reconciliation. And now I'm at your neighborhood because the book of Philemon tells us that if we're going to have reconciliation, we have to have three ingredients, three core ingredients to reconciliation. Each of these are personified in one of the main characters. There's three main characters, Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon. Paul personifies or embodies truth. You cannot have reconciliation without truth. Paul tells Onesimus, I I know you don't want to hear this, and you may not ever want anything else to do with me, but go back and fix it and make it right. I'm willing to sacrifice our relationship and you not liking me because I am more committed to your growth in Christ than to whether or not you like me. So we got to have a truth encounter. And then Philemon, I got to speak truth to you. Take him back no longer as a slave, but much more than a slave. Take him back as a brother. Listen, you can't just cheat on your spouse and then come back home and say, let's work it out without wanting to actually talk about what you did. You can't just gossip or slander me. Say a quick, I'm sorry. Without us just playing the films real quick and just, why did you do that? And you need to hear how that impacted me. I can't just shrug my shoulders and hold a blind eye. If a person ain't ready to have a truth encounter, they ain't ready for reconciliation. We got to talk about it. Secondly, there's repentance. Onesimus, I need you to go back. Repentance is not... Confession. Confession is a change of words. Repentance is a change of actions. 
But you cannot have repentance without confession. And while we're on the subject, let me give you a quick tutorial for how to biblically apologize. A biblical apology is never, I'm sorry you took it that way. That is not a biblical apology. A biblical apology has three things. Number one, it takes ownership. I'm sorry, I. Secondly, it is specific. It names the offense. I'm sorry I lied. Number three, it always ends with the big ask. Will you forgive me? If you ain't ready to confess and apologize, you ain't ready to repent because confession are your first steps on the road to repentance. Now, repentance is a change in direction. Hear me. If you are in a relationship with a person who is not repenting, we call that abuse. And this message is not about whether or not you should reconcile with an abuser. That ain't this. But hear me. Some of you all, you're the one who did wrong. I did the wrong. I messed up, I messed up, and I'm apologizing, apologizing, apologizing. You can apologize till you're blue in the face, but if you don't have the third ingredient, it won't work out. And the third ingredient is personified by Philemon. It is the ingredient of grace. Take him back no longer as a slave, but much more than a slave. Take him back as a brother. I need you to give to him grace. So as much as you may apologize and try to change your actions, if the other person ain't going to give you grace, the relationship won't work, which is why let me set you free. Romans 12, 18 is your friend because this message is about reconciliation. It is not about forgiveness because when it comes to forgiveness, there is no loophole to that. You have to forgive. I have to forgive. I have to let it go. Why? Because forgiveness takes one. But when we talk about reconciliation, there is a loophole. Why? Because reconciliation takes two, which is why Paul says in Romans 12, 18, as best as you can, be at peace with all people, which means this. Sometimes you try your absolute best, but if they're not going to meet your energy with their energy, if they're not going to do their part, you cannot have a relationship. And right there, someone should have just got freed. God is saying to someone right now, you've been crying about this thing and you've been apologizing and apologizing and doing the work, but they ain't showing your grace, so stop. God says, I'm good with you. Yes. You've done your part. Sleep well, baby. It's done. Amen. Now, why should I reconcile? Why should I do this? Let me give you several reasons. Number one. Because we're family. You don't need to spend a day in seminary to figure this out. Just read the text. What does he call Philemon? My brother, my brother, my brother, my brother. What does he call Onesimus? My child in the faith. I've become his father. In, in other words, what Paul is painting the picture of is we are family. 
The reason why we've got to talk about reconciliation as the body of Christ at One Community Church is because the last couple of years have not been our finest hour. We, the body of Christ, have been so divided. We've been divided over politics. Not speaking to one another because you voted a a certain way and I voted a different way. Again, I just want to remind you, Jesus ain't coming back on Air Force One. When the national anthem is played, God does not nudge Jesus and say, stand up, take your hat off, put your hand over your heart. We got to pledge allegiance to America. We are not the people of the donkey or the elephant. We are the people of the lamb. And the way we've been divided over politics and race and masks. Well, forgive me, I'm in Texas. I don't even know if masks made it to Texas. So we need reconciliation. But we're family. I remember, man, growing up, I'm like eight or nine years old, and, and I just picked up on my dad and his sister did not get along. Because every month, man, she would call the house because she couldn't make rent. And my dad would cuss and fuss and da 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 And no matter how bad, mad he got, he always wrote the check. <laughs> One time, true story, he wrote her the check, and this girl went on a cruise. I'm like, hey, Dad, I've noticed a pattern here. Help me out. I know I'm only nine. But this feels like codependency to me. Dad, why do you keep, he goes, she frustrates me, but we're family. What am I going to do? Let her, let him put her out on the street. We're, we're family. Postscript. My, his sister died 20 years ago. I was at her, at her funeral. We're down front casket. And my dad's laughing and crying, <laughs> laughing and crying. <laughs> it's the strangest sight. I said, Dad, why are you laughing and crying? He said, who do you think's paying for this? <laughs> she got me again. Listen, that's a bit extreme what my dad did, but here's here's the point. That person you're sitting next to, you share spiritual DNA with. Your family. And when you really understand family, we work it out. Why should I go about reconciliation? Because we're family. But secondly, let's go home on this one. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what the gospel says. The gospel says we're all sinners in the very nature of sin. I want you to understand this. Sin, this is so un-American. The way sin is portrayed in the Bible, it is never just personal. It is primarily relational. 
Here's what that means. In, in, in Genesis chapter 2, maybe you heard this this weekend at the couples conference, when Adam and Eve sinned prior to their sin, prior to their sin, the Bible says they're naked and unashamed. The idea here is there's full transparency, full vulnerability, full authenticity, and then a couple verses later, Satan shows up and Adam sits there in passivity and watches a snake talk to his wife. She eats of the fruit, the Bible says, and turns to her husband who is with her. He eats of the fruit too, Sin enters into the world, and what's the first thing they do? They hide from God. Their relationship with God is gone. They used to walk with God, the Bible says, in the cool of the day. But the Bible then says when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking, they hid from him, and God has to go, where are you? Something's off with our relationship. And not only is their relationship off that way, their relationship is off this way. Why? They find fig leaves and they hide from one another. This is what sin does. It creates relational chaos. That's why their son Cain kills Abel. That's why Jacob and Esau, two brothers, are estranged for years because of Jacob's sin of swindling his own brother out of his own birthright. That's why the the mess with Joseph and his brothers, this is what sin does. At the end of the day, why are relationships so hard? Because sin is so pervasive. That person you're sitting next to is just like you, a sinner, toe up from the flow up, and my issues impede a relationship with one another. That's sin. But what does God do? God comes down, being the true and better Philemon, and gives us grace. I got a friend of mine, Dr. Robert Smith Jr. I don't know if you've ever heard that name. If you've never heard him preach, do not die and go to heaven without hearing him preach. One of my favorite preachers. If you feel the death angel coming, tell him to hold off. You can go to YouTube real quick and hear him preach. This guy is amazing. He's a professor at Beeson Divinity School, but he's a much better human being. Several years ago, his son was murdered. And he's in grief. In the middle of his grief, he senses the Holy Spirit telling him, Go to prison where your son's murderer is. So he goes. I can see them now separated by the glass partition on the phones. It's an awkward conversation, I imagine. He comes home. He senses the Holy Spirit say, go back. And he keeps going back. And they're building a friendship. And one conversation, he shares the gospel with his son's murderer. And lo and behold, he gets saved. But he keeps going back and keeps going back and keeps going back. And about a year or two later, this guy who murdered his son says to the father of the son who led him to Christ, I know I'm here for life, but I think God wants me to preach the gospel here. But I don't, I don't know the Bible. I need to get trained. And so my friend who's on faculty at Beeson Divinity School, he goes out and raises money to endow a scholarship for people who want to get trained in the word of God. And he names the scholarship after his murdered son. And the first recipient of the scholarship is the dude who murdered his son. 
Now, where's the gospel witness, one community? Is the gospel witness him saying, ah, I'm not going to go see him. That's my right. I'm not ready for that. I'll, I'll never do that. Is he well within his rights to do that? Absolutely. But does God get more glory by him sitting at home and just kind of living estranged? Or does God get more glory by him saying, I'm going to lean into the Spirit of God to enable me to do something that I don't have the strength in and of myself to do. You wronged me, but, but when I think of the gospel, did I not murder Jesus? Am I not Onesimus? And what did God say? I'm going to come down. I'm going to die on the cross for you. I'm going to reconcile you. And the epitome of the gospel is because out of great love and affection for us, he has reconciled us to him. I then must in some way, shape, or form work out reconciliation even to those who have broken my heart. If I really want to know what you believe about the gospel, it's how do you treat people who have wronged you? I want to pray. Father God, I believe all through this message that there have been faces that have come to mind among the people of God. Faces of relationships that just aren't right. And we acknowledge the complexity of these broken relationships. For some of us, we are the one who did the breaking. We are the one who wronged. But for plenty of others, we are the ones who were wronged. And if we keep on living, we'll change places back and forth. We all know what it's like to be a Philemon. We all know what it's like to be Onesimus. It's just kind of the natural course of things. But God, you are calling your people to work out reconciliation. If you're here today and you, you've just seen faces in your mind of relationships that aren't right, I want to pray for you. God is saying you will not feel the full-on blessings of all I have for you if you don't do your part to make those relationships right. I've got so much more for you. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, there's a, there's a relationship in my life that's not what it should be, I'd, I'd love to pray with you. Could you meet me at the altar if that's just you? I'm not going to ask you specifically about the nuances of that religion. But if that's you, you've, you've seen the face, would you just slip out of the aisles and just meet me here at the, at the altar? There's a relationship in your life that's, yes, not where it should be. It's not what it should be. Pastor, I just want, I just want prayer. Yes, would you just come? Would you just come? I'm not here to say whether or not you did the wrong or the other person did, but this, it's just off. It's just not where it should be.
I think those first couple of steps coming out the aisle is like the first couple of steps Onesimus took in going back. By the way, you know what happens to Onesimus? Onesimus ends up becoming the bishop of the church at Ephesus. How does a slave become a bishop? Because Philemon did what Paul told him to do. He made him a brother. I, I can't help but to think that reconciliation unleashes God's divine destiny in our lives and other people's lives. When we do what God asks us to do, the, the potential of that. Let us all stand. Would you just stretch a hand towards these, your brothers and sisters who are up here? Let's just stand in agreement. I'm going to pray out loud. You pray how the Lord leads you, but we're going to pray for them and their relationships. Father, in the name of Jesus, I rest my hand on these, your children's shoulders, your sons, your daughters. I pray that my hand is an extension of your hand, your hand of reconciliation your hand of strength, your hand of grace, your hand of truth, your hand of repentance in the name of Jesus, Lord God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every son and daughter who is here. I pray that you would give them exactly what they need the courage, the honesty, the vulnerability. Some people need to go back and say, no, no, I want you to understand, I, you've hurt me and I've harbored this thing for a while. Others need the courage and the strength to apologize and to say something has been off and I know exactly what it is and here's my part in all of that. That, that takes deep courage and humility, Lord God. And I pray for the one on the other side, Lord God, who's, who's not even here. Would you begin to prepare her heart? Would you begin to prepare his heart to receive this work of reconciliation and to, and to match them in their energy and their effort to, to restore and renew the relationships? Because God, that's where you get glorified. I pray against the root of bitterness. God, we come against demonic roots of bitterness right now that have just grown and festered, Lord God. We, we cast them out right now in the name of Jesus. We speak humility in their hearts. We speak sensitivity in their hearts in the name of Jesus to the point, Lord God, where people come in to one community church at any of our campuses, Lord God, and they, they understand not a perfect church, this is a unique church because they love each other and they keep short accounts and they do the hard work of reconciliation. Oh, this church, oh, how they love. That's what I once said of one community. We receive this word right now in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ. And we speak renewed, flourishing relationships which were once dead. Resurrect them. God, if you can raise a dead Jesus... You can raise each and every relationship here. And we believe you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.